Kick off the footy finals and score a great deal at Dan Murphy's. Shop unbeatable prices in store or online at danmurphys.com.au. Conditions apply. Choose to drink wise. Dan Murphy's. Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast, proudly sponsored by Subway. Get your mid-match feast delivered fresh, Subway eat fresh. Matt Walsh back in the host chair, Jake Michaels and Christian Jolly from Champion Data. Here to talk all things grand final with the big day just a few days away. There's plenty to dissect, to analyse and to get to. Uh, but this week isn't just about the big footy game that's coming up. There's obviously been some very massive news in, involving two current AFL coaches and their and the Hawthorne Footy Club's historical involvement in some pretty damning behaviour. Uh, we didn't want to start this podcast without actually acknowledging what's going on. Uh, but long-term listeners of the pod will know that we are mostly an X's and O kind of podcast that does sort of stay away from the uh, the footy classified stuff. And uh, given there's so, sort of so much still up in the air about all this, we thought that uh, we can we can let the the stuff play out that needs to play out. Uh, we can focus on the footy, uh, but obviously with a, a hat tip to um, the journalism involved, and, and we hope that those involved and those who did come forward to share their experiences are getting the support that they need at this time. Um, and if you are seeking some of our content on this, we've had Rowan Connolly uh, write a, a piece on this that you can find on ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL. So if you want to seek that out, uh, I would highly encourage you to do that. But, Jake, as I mentioned off the top, there is a big game this week. There is, and it's good to have you back. I am back, yes. I had a couple of episodes off. I uh, had to run a couple of errands over in the States. I uh, had a good friend of mine get married uh, in Arkansas. He's an American, so he didn't obviously take into account or factor the fact that footy finals was on. It's not good enough, uh, But I will, I will say this. Um, he, he's a big Arkansas fan, a big Razorbacks fan for the college football. Uh, grew up in Little Rock. Uh, went to university, the University of Arkansas. Uh, they play in Fayetteville, a uh, couple of hours away drive. And it just so happened that after they'd scheduled the wedding and all that sort of stuff, it was a beautiful night. It was just the perfect location. Everything went off without a hitch. The only trouble was uh, the wedding started at 6 o'clock and when the college football schedule came out, the Razorbacks were playing at 6.05 the same evening. <laughs> so, so the TVs were on out the back. Um, it, was a, it was a bit of a, a grudge match too because uh, the former Razorbacks coach uh, was... Uh, now, who's now coaching Missouri State was coming back for the first time to Fayetteville and there was a whole lot of drama about how he left and all that sort of stuff so there were a lot of interested onlookers who... so, so did they get married? They did get married and no one was looking at their phone I was, I was sort of looking around to sort of see because it's a bit of a religion uh, up that way in, in those parts of the states I think it's like football, family and faith you know the three Fs so, depending on the order depending on the, the, the day of the week so uh, no it was lovely but I'm, I'm back I've been uh, keeping abreast of what's been happening uh, on the field and off the field mm. uh, but we are here to talk on the field and they're uh, Look, a lot to get to. Before yeah. we do get cracking, because we do have uh, a lot to get through, Christian, something you noticed uh, from the last couple of days since we last recorded the pod? <laughs> well, yeah, probably something that uh, we've spoken about uh, maybe later than halfway through the year, probably during the buy rounds, we'll talk about who was the best recruit uh, brought in for the year, sort of looking at traded in players and mature age recruits and I things like that. I think we worked that out, didn't we? I think we, we might have landed on George Hewitt at about yeah. round 15 or 16. Choice. I think the two best recruits are now playing in the grand final. I think now that we've got to the end of the year, I think Paddy McCartan and Tyson Stengel have just overtaken him in terms of how valuable they are for both their teams, and one of them is going to end up with a premiership medal on Saturday. Well, we, when you consider... So last year, George Hewitt was a was an AFL player and considered a, a good player. He's gone to another level at Carlton. He's been a fantastic recruit. Yep. But when you consider where the other two guys were that you just mentioned this time last year, it's 
pretty remarkable what you know uh, for Stengel to to make the All Australian All Australian team, uh, and for McCartan to make his comeback and play uh, a pivotal role in a great uh, defense. Both and then... players that were on the scrap heap. Exactly. Let's be honest. Yeah. And for for different reasons, obviously, uh, Stengel had some issues when he was uh, at the Crows and and before that mm. as well, uh, and was given a life on a third chance. And sometimes you think the clubs might not dish out a third chance to some players, but um, the Cats and and credit to Eddie Betts as well yeah. for some of the work that he's done with Stengel have been able to turn it around. And he's been a, a, a not only a contributor but a very consistent contributor at that. Mm. Yeah, very important both players. Um, but I would say. George Hewitt missed the last, what, five games of the season? Yeah. Five or six games? He yeah. missed quite a bit. So he's saying back. recency bias. And I think there's seen... a little bit of recency bias, and I wonder <laughs> if he had played that full season whether, I mean, maybe Carlton is in the finals if he plays if he plays the last five or six Sliding games of the doors. season. It's, you don't know. But, yeah, I think I think uh, two worthy nominations, along with uh, Will Brody as mm. well, who we always forget about. Of course. Uh, I think regardless of, of the result this week, there will be some wonderful stories to come out. And there always are on Grand Final Day. But um, even the Ruckman, you look at some of the, the, the Rucks around the league that will not have Grand Final or Premiership medals around their neck. But yep. you know, Tom Hickey, uh, <laughs> yep. Premiership Ruckman could be. Reese Stanley, again, talk about the scrap heap. Many had written off his AFL career at different yep. times. The there. best Ruckman in the league are always playing off in, on Grand Final uh, Day, aren't I've, they? <laughs> I've got you started on Ruckman already and we're, what, three minutes into this podcast. Goodness gracious. Uh, something from the last couple of days, Jake, that's taken your attention. Well, I didn't. I wanted to move on from the Brownlow because we've we've had that. It's been run and won. And, How did you and, go, by the way? Well, did you predict the winner, seven of eight? You know I didn't. Then you're asking <laughs> me this, and you you needled me within five minutes of of the Charlie being hung around Cripps' neck. <laughs> I think I was actually still on a plane, and and they were like, you could turn uh, airplane mode off. I might have texted you or something like that. And it was anyway. Yeah. Um. Oh, look. No, it was it was a good night. We spoke about it uh, a couple of days ago. But the thing that I noticed was so the. The the bookmakers they don't muck around they, they don't they take two seconds before they put the odds up for next year's Brownlow Medal, and I just had a look at them and I was a bit shocked with the odds of some a, a couple of players in particular Christian Petrarca and Marcus Bontempelli who after last year's Grand Final if you think back, I think most people would have said at that moment in time they're the two best players in the sport. I think that's pretty fair to say. Petrarca dominated Grand Final Day, and most people felt Bond and Pally was the best player in the league going into. Talk that. about the recency bias of of McCartan yeah. and Stengel, though, and now you're looking at the the recency bias of the the two players that mm. played the last game in 2021, yeah. and then being favourites for 2022. So I'm just not sure. The thing I've noticed is I'm not sure how they've all of a sudden been leapfrogged by six, both been leapfrogged by six other players because Cripps, Neil, Oliver, Walsh, Miller, and Brayshaw all have better odds to win the Brownlow next year than either Petrarca or Bontempelli. But do you think those those five names, again, you're, you're betting on the Brownlow votes. Those those five I understand, have polled votes that, easier but, than but the going They're not necessarily the, the best player. But going into, I understand not. we can talk how we value the Brownlow and what, or, or whatever we say, but going into this year, Bontempelli and Petrarca were, were the two favourites. So mm-hmm. I think, I still think, I understand your your if you're wagering money on that, you're picking who's going to win the Brownlow, not necessarily who the best player in the league is. But more often than not, that that does sort of marry up. And I just am surprised that all of a sudden, six players, and I love Andy Brayshaw, he had a fantastic year, but I'm staggered that Brayshaw... Um, I'm staggered that all of them, six players, have gone past both of those two guys. It, I think it just highlights again just the subjectivity of the vote and the the award and how it just you just really don't know and yes i think jake the thing you mentioned in our brownlow special was that um it, it's an award where you can see all the performances before 
the actual read out and the count has been done. So you can get a gauge of who you think might have been best on ground. But again, mm. it's it's subjective, so it completely depends on the umpires. And I think that's that sort of fluidity and who is the the higher you know this higher seed or, or has the shortest odds is is fascinating. Um, I'll give you a little little uh, sneak peek as to what I'm thinking twelve <laughs> months ahead of time. But Chad Warner, Josh Dunkley. Keep those two names handy Friend of the for, next year's, for next year's Brownlow. Hmm, interesting. Uh, something that took my attention over a preliminary final weekend, and it's going to play out again, I think, this week. The oil on the shoulders. Now, Braden Maynard and, and Lance Franklin had their tussle in the <laughs> first term <laughs> about what? It was good. It was so <laughs> weird, wasn't it? <laughs> but it is weird. But, I mean, we know that Buddy's oiled his shoulders for a while. Um, so it's nothing new. But also, there are a couple of cats that like to do this too. Tom Hawkins mm. likes to do it. Um, Patrick Dangerfield does it occasionally. I'm pretty sure also Joel Selwood might oil his, his arms. I'm, I must say I'm not keeping track of the players who oil their arms in footy. Um, <laughs> but it just could be a nice little subplot again and just sort of see who likes to have that advantage should, of... But should it be legal? I was going to say, gonna ask you this. I, I feel like this is maybe not the same sort of thing. I'm just thinking about this on the fly. But how is this... That much different to... I think I know where you're going. Sandpaper? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think you've got a, a level Sandpaper beyond me. <laughs> Maybe that's a bit, that's a bit worse. No, but... I was going to go like Travis Cloak and his gloves. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't think you should be able to put put that on your body. Why? I mean, why do you need it? I mean, and it's the same with the sticky stuff that they always put on the, the side of their jumper there, the forwards that like to like... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and but they, they all the do that. Hands. But it's like, why can't we just... Why can't we just play footy? Why do we need to have oiled shoulders and sticky hands to try and get a... Uh, even if it's just perceived, like, what's the point? Why can't we all be on a level playing field when it comes to just using your bodies? But then they, I guess they could turn around and say, well, we are. You can all put oil on if you want. It's not but sometimes illegal. I look at, sometimes I look at the oily arms and think, you're just too oily. You're going to spill your first mark. <laughs> you can't take a chest mark with those oily arms. Sometimes it needs to sort of settle 10 minutes into the game. So if you're, you're covered swans, in oil and you touch your arm, yeah. then your hand's got oil on it. And then well, the no, that's the trainers do it. Don't you see them like before the game? Yeah, but if, at some are... point, you're what? So you can go three out. You're going to be walking around like this and not touch your arms. <laughs> so, so what I'm saying is, I think swans, the swans players uh, need to go up to, if it's you know Hawkins or if it's Daniel, whoever it is, you know, try and do the, what Maynard did and then try and touch their hands. No, you, hold know what, hands. you know what you do? You go up. So you know at the start of a game where you see like um, you see a great defender and a great key forward go up to each other and they shake hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just put <laughs> get some, some oil get on, some you. on your hands and because if you're a defender, you want you want to be putting yeah. the oil on. So the guys are yeah. being a, a nice bloke and yeah. you just you lather their hands. In Absolutely, oil. yeah. I like that. I don't mind that at all. Uh, this, this is not the statistical uh, uh, gold mine we're normally uh, known for on this podcast, but we will get into the. Uh, the main body, Jake. Where do we kind of start with this? Because, firstly, we've got a team on 15 wins in a row. We've got another team who's won, I think it's nine in a row, the Swans. Yep. Uh, so, surely we're all in agreement that this is the best matchup that we could possibly have had this, this season. This is the grand final that the league deserves and these two clubs deserve. I think, as much as I hate to say it, I think Geelong Collingwood would have been pretty damn good. <laughs> More entertaining. I mean, I think if so. that final had been the grand final, you wouldn't walk away disappointed. No. But, but if, if but, you had Sydney Collingwood, you also probably wouldn't have walked away disappointed. No. Oh, absolutely not. But I think, I think, yeah, it's not that sport needs to be fair, but you can look back on this year. In 10 years' time, you can look back and say, oh, who, who, who was in that 2022 grand final? Oh, it was Geelong and Sydney. And they combined for 24 straight wins going into the grand final, which I think was, is, is a record. Yeah, 20, 20 is the next most all the way back in 1903. So it's it's... Exactly. It's a, uh, the grand final I think we all deserve to have. We've had an outstanding season. It's been close. We've had an outstanding final series with, again, 
mostly Collingwood, but Geelong just getting over the line against Collingwood. Sydney sort of having to do the same. Mm. Um, and you put away last year's premiers to get there in the first place. So, yeah, I think both two teams deserve their place in it. And as I said, I think when it's all done and dusted, you can clearly look back and say they had the best two seasons of any two clubs. Well, on that kind of point, you were looking through some of the numbers and you've done a stack of research for this podcast. And there was a theme that developed that sort of reflects where these sort of teams finished on the ladder and compared to one another. And it's it's the number one and the number two. Yeah, and again, a lot of it is Geelong just pipping Sydney. So there's a lot of similarities about the way they go about it. There's a lot of sort of slight differences in two, you know, sort of how they move the ball, Geelong um, sort of higher with their with their short kicking and Sydney higher sort of, um, sort of you know, trying to stop that and sort of um, be more sort of sideways and a bit slower with higher marks um, or mark differential than Geelong, so play a bit more keepings off. But the... The sort of, you know, the KPI metrics, the things that you want to win or be do well in, like score per inside 50 or defend, defend inside 50 contest possession clearances, we'll sort of go through some of the some more numbers in depth. But a lot of it is just a one or two ranking sort of um, difference between these two teams. But I think across the board, about 90% of the stats, Geelong's just got their nose in front, which is probably the feeling you get when, you, when you're summing up this grand final that, yeah... Both teams can match with each other, but Geelong's probably just got their, their neck in front of their head into it. I mean, some of those stats are stats that we've um, talked about on this podcast throughout the year and, and beyond about the ones that you kind of need to nail and be in the top six for to be a genuine premiership contender. So it's it's no wonder that these two teams have been so good at this throughout the year and that they're finally facing off on the big stage. Yeah, exactly. Both sort of top six in um, the, the main bookend sort of stats at um, back end and forward end. So... Uh, Sydney a bit lower again you know we've talked about teams have been able to do it without the contested possession and sort of clearance game Sydney are probably mid-table for that so they're not high in terms of dominating possession and dominating the ball but they're just so good at protecting scores and and scoring once they get it forward but again the probably one of the biggest differences in terms of the way that they defend the ball carrier so we know Sydney the number one pressure team so applying pressure on directly on the disposal Geelong finished, I think, 15th or 16th by this stage going into the grand final. So they're much lower in terms of pressuring the ball carrier. But then you look at why do you pressure a ball carrier? It's because you want to create a turnover. Geelong are the number one team from scoring at turnovers across the year. And I think Sydney is still top four in that stat. So again, they have different sort of philosophies on how we defend. But again, when people sort of talk about Geelong's low pressure, all Geelong can turn around and say, well, we're the best at actually scoring from the opposition mistakes. So they're... they're they got their defensive structure nailed. Well, yeah, the Cats have been excellent at it all year. And we talk about their intercept prowess and some of the, the players that they've been able to turn into really great interceptors. Sam DeConning this year, even Zach Guthrie's had, towards the back end of the season in particular, has been really, really good. Tom Stewart obviously had a few weeks off, uh, but has been doing it all season. Is this a style... I mean, the only thing I'm, I'm trying to sort of... And I, I'm only doing it because I think Geelong is kind of everyone's tip and everyone's favourite for this match. I'm trying to sort of pick a hole in, in where Sydney might be able to exploit, but... Waiting back, as you say, Christian, not putting pressure on the ball carrier per se, waiting back and hoping for the ball to come into your defensive 50 to then pick it off, to then rebound, to then find possession and start your chains. Is that something that if you just have a bad day and you're a little bit off, you know, forwards like Franklin, who's had a good year, Sam Reid gets up, um, everyone else in that Sydney forward line that sort of buzzes around and and, and, and is a bit of a pest, you know, you talk about Tom Papley and his influence in finals, this, this final series... Is there just enough room where you can kind of say, if Sydney can disrupt something in that Geelong back line, this is where they could get them? I think, of course. Because they look so settled, and, and they look so settled for the majority of the season. We said it um, on the podcast on Tuesday that against Brisbane, 
I think I said it. They they too many too many times with the with the Brisbane key forwards McStay, Hipwood, Danaher, just too late to the contest. They couldn't, and it wasn't a contest. So they so it allowed Stewart and De Koning and uh, Guthrie to take these intercept marks, and then they can rebound from there. But uh, but the other part of it is there's so much work that's done in the midfield by the Geelong mids to put their opposition under pressure when they're when they're going inside fifty. I think Sydney can. I think Sydney has a forward line that can disrupt Geelong's back six. But I think it, they can't... They've got to be prepared to do different things and not just stick to one way, one one particular type of entry because Geelong gets settled and they get too comfortable and it becomes far too easy. I think Sydney's the team that has the weapons with ball in hand going forward that can try they ha- something different. They do. They have the good ball users, but they also have the... the the marking presence, hopefully if Reed, Reed plays, they have the, the ground level presence as well. They have the mid-sized forwards. Mm. They have that great mix of a forward line that I think can trouble. So Brisbane, for example, was very one-dimensional. It felt very one-dimensional. Whereas Sydney, I, don't, I think that's where they might have their advantage with that the unpredictability of their forward line and the different ways that they can get you. And nailing their chances. And we talked about, uh, before we recorded this podcast, their only meeting this year. It was way back in round two when um, Buddy, Buddy kicked his thousand. Start, yeah. uh, and I, I remember this, talking about this on the podcast because the X scores, so the expected scores from that match was Geelong should have won that match. And they lost by something like... It was, it was, a, it was, a, five, it was a five goal loss, 30 point yeah. loss. And they should have, you know, expected scores had them winning by six points. So again, just going back to one of one of Jake points uh, earlier about how Sydney's forward line, again, they've sort of, they ranked ninth for time in forward half differential this year. So there's just in the positive Geelong are clearly number one for that but Sydney number one for forward 50 tackles and sort of up there for offensive efficiency which is how often do we score per 50 minutes in in the forward line so they've got that manic pressure that we talked about number one across the field but also number one in their forward 50 so again it's going to be a lot about keeping the ball at ground level in Sydney's forward line I think that's going to be you know that that's going to be a big strength of theirs if they can stop that from being a Geelong you know taking in this set mark and just rebounding straight from that they can keep the ball on the ground in their forward 50 is going to give them um, a bigger chance. So, but yeah, looking at last time they played, as I said, it was a, a 36 point swing in Sydney's favour. But just looking at expected accuracy, which is obviously what expected scores do. So, summing up that game uh, in round two, Geelong, their shots that they took across the night had an expected accuracy of 43%. So, you know, slightly below the comp average. So, they were taking slightly harder shots than usual, but they scored at 36% accuracy. So, a 7% below where they should have been. Sydney were taking shots that he had an expected accuracy of 49%, so slightly easier than Sydney acro- uh, than Geelong across the night, but they scored at 71% accuracy, and I think it was almost 17-3 off the boot from, you know, from shots at goal. So it was just outstanding accuracy, but again, looking at a lot of the other numbers, I think the inside 50s, Geelong were almost plus 16 in. The contested possessions were quite even, uh, but Geelong, I think, got them at clearances and sort of ground level around the ground. So again, Sydney... Had a good win that night, but again, looking at the numbers and what Geelong did, Geelong can go into that into the grand final going well. We know how to sort of set up it. Together. I think if you play that game ten times back to back to back, Geelong's Geelong wins win that seven, eight, eight times. Yeah, eight, I think the inside, and again, the inside times. fifty is sixty-two to forty-eight or something across the game. That to concede in, to concede sixty inside fifties, it's hard to win a game like that, which Sydney did do. And if you're conceding fewer than fifty, you very rarely lose, which which Geelong did. So it was yeah. So that thirty-six point differential was it in the expected scores from from the actual result to what the expected scores says? Thirty-six six points. How 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 many more games? Like I know this is a question without notice, but how many more games throughout the year would have had a higher differential than that? There's been a few 40, 50 point swings, but again, 
it, there's two ways to look at it. Some of them have a 40, 50 point swing where like they with don't, the same result. Yeah, where yeah. they don't change the result. Mm. Uh, but I think this was, yeah, this was in the top. F- again, I haven't looked since the season <laughs> finished, but when I, I remember looking you know, later in the year, and this was one of the top five swing changes yeah. across so, the game. Yeah. It's very easy to look back at it and say, oh, well, Sydney won the game comfortably. They didn't really, and no. I think Geelong should be taking a lot of and confidence it, in that. And, and that was a game at the, obviously at the SCG with a sixty-four minute final quarter, so it was just a very <laughs> unusual. Right, yeah. I mean, remember when Buddy kicked the goal? I think it was probably about the ten-minute mark of the fourth quarter, and it gave him a sort of twenty, thirty-point lead. But it felt like once that break happened, Geelong just didn't even try to mount a comeback. Yeah. yeah, it was just sort of to play it out. So it would be interesting to see if Geelong, you know, were five goals down with twenty minutes to go in a normal game, how mm-hmm. much they would have sort of changed it up and sort of. And, and we said this as well earlier in the week. I, I think. Geelong is a very different team now to what they were in round two. I mean, you can probably say the same thing about Sydney as well, but I think Geelong is is wildly different to the side that went out there. And not just the personnel, but the way they're playing, the confidence, and and the way yeah, the way in which they're they're transitioning the ball. Just it, they just feel like a a powerhouse again. Well, I remember we talked. Uh, it might have been after two two or three rounds uh, about players. Uh, sorry, about teams that had sort of changed their game style up, and you had mentioned Geelong and this was a kind of the early parts of the year where they were struggling they were sort of 4-5 four, four, or 5-4 five, four or whatever it might have been and they were sort of on and you think are they going to be a ten- contender but they really found their their niche and they really found their brand in the second half of the year and have stuck to it and lo and behold they're 15 wins in a row yeah and I think Dangerfield did come out um, halfway through the year and sort of said look the only philosophy that we really changed is we just want to keep going forward so, like a lot of last year, they were number one for backwards kicks and sideways kicks and mm. switches, and they were very good at dominating at contested possession at the source and sort of dominating possession as well. But probably when it got to later in the season, they probably struggled to really, you know, penetrate teams in the finals. And I know the preliminary final was, you know, we know about that now with the sickness, and they were just blown out of the water by Melbourne. But it probably hadn't stacked up. And again, this year, they're still sort of pretty conservative with, you know, they kick long 17th, so the second least of any team, but they kick forward the fourth most of any side. So again, it's all about what Dangerfield said. It's just about, let's just take ground. We don't have to go long down the line. We don't have to try to bite off more than we can chew, but as long as we can find an option, you know, five, 10 metres forward and a little bit more inboard, we'll take that option. Whereas last year, they were probably more likely to go backwards, 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 and then long down Mm. the line and try to break it open. This year, they're taking more ground with each kick. Jake, what do you when when you think of finals experience? Um, the Cats, uh, by and large, that squad they've played a lot. They played a lot of finals. Most of them would have played in the grand final uh, a couple of years ago against the Tigers. Against the Tigers. Um, whereas the Swans, there, if you're not an older brigade of that that squad, you might have played one final, and it was a loss to the Giants by a point down in Tasmania uh, before before this year. That is. When you come to the big stage like a grand final, does it matter if you've played in one before? I mean, with the Swans. You know, you look at some of the interstate teams that have come to the G and and been really embarrassed mm. um, by uh, Victorian Bay sides. Is there a, are you worried about what the Swans can produce in in arguably the biggest game in maybe fifteen of the the Swans of the biggest game in fifteen of the Swans careers? If that makes sense, <laughs> it does. And I think I think there is definitely some merit in it. I I probably don't subscribe to the experience means everything. Uh, you know, like some people will sort of say, it will be important. And it, it probably is important early in the game mm. to help you settle. If Geelong kicked the first three or four goals in, in a short period of time, that's when you can probably see the experience, um, you know, the, the inability to sort of calm calm the side down and, and stay in it. And it can sort of, and that's why we, we often see these massive margins in grand finals. 
But with that said, Sydney has enough experience in this team. To say that Sydney is an inexperienced team, I no, don't think I, is I think, right. I, I think... know I know what you're saying. The, the finals are different. But but they, they were in a grand final in 2016, which isn't that long ago. And they've been a consistent finalist for out, throughout the last decade. So I think there's plenty of plenty of experience and the and the thing with the swans of which i think we've said a few times throughout the year which will hold them in good stead is their mix between the experienced older players like buddy and parker and uh and rampy and, and, rampy and you know but even mills mills isn't isn't that experienced so that's what i've looked at i've looked at the sort of games played experience so we sort of you know you can talk about age and things like that and experience but sometimes it's about getting out there and playing so tom stewart again good example he didn't start playing until he was 24 25 and sort of so again it's all about getting out there and playing and yeah so looking at over 200 gamers geelong very top heavy nine of their selected team from the preliminary final they played at least 200 games only four for sydney but the next bracket is sort of even 50 to 200 games, 11 for Geelong, 15 for Sydney. Hmm. But so that's the crux say- bracket. So again, I think the inexperienced Swans is a very, it's it's almost a myth at this stage. Yeah, they've got, the, they got a few young guys. They've got five guys with, you know, less than uh, 50 games experience. But in terms of that, the middle part of the team of 100, you know, they've got more than Geelong do. Yes, but as you mentioned, the Cats are quite top heavy. The Cats are also quite old. Um, I think there's a stat floating around that if, if, They'll if, be the oldest, yeah. If they win the flag, they'll be the oldest side. Mm. Yeah, they're almost they're almost fielding the oldest team we've ever seen, you know, in a, in a final series sort of thing. And yeah, and we'll go through as. But well. I love how we automatically assume that's a negative thing. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not saying. No, that. not no, you. But yeah, just yeah, yeah. the the perception is, oh, they're, they're and this is if you're a, if you're a bunch of, of fit 29, yeah. 30 year olds. Yeah, yeah, you're you're gonna play some good footy. Yeah. Um. I yeah. I think. I think I think both sides. I don't think the experience is going to count for much for with both sides because I think there's enough with on both both teams. You can also look at look back and and flip it around and say, well, yes, Geelong have the grand more recent grand final experience, but that was a car crash. How they lost that game from yeah, from, from halfway through the second quarter. So then all of a sudden, if if it goes the other way and Sydney start well, does, does Geelong does the Geelong players start thinking it's, it's happening again? Mm. Is there more pressure on Geelong? I know they're both on winning streaks, but is there more pressure on Geelong given it's a 15-game winning streak? Yes, let's hold that thought because I think we will get to that um, in time. But before we get off sort of the statistical stuff, uh, it is time for the Dan Murphy's Go-To Player of the Week, brought to you by Dan Murphy's, your go-to destination for unbeatable prices on all your favourite footy drinks. Make sure you stack up ahead of Saturday. Uh, obviously, drink responsibly. Christian, looking at the two teams over the course of the season, uh, they're well. Geelong are blessed because they've got targets all over the park, and and two of the best key forwards that we've seen. Sydney probably one bigger focal point, but as we've mentioned, their ability at ground level to be quite um, tenacious and and find avenues to goal has been noteworthy. The go-to players: who is Cats the Cats' most targeted player inside fifty, and who is the Swans' most targeted player inside fifty this season? Yeah, so it's Tom Tom Hawkins for the Cats, who's sort of eight times per game, uh, which is the fourth most of anyone in the competition, and Lance Franklin, who's sort of seven and a half times per game, which sort of comes in seventh. So uh, two top ten players. Yeah, Where yeah. does Jeremy Cameron rank? Yeah, again, so I think Cameron, Jeremy Cameron was in the top twenty, but we sort of looked at in terms of percentage of times you're targeted. Even Tom Hawkins, I think, has had a slightly higher percentage than Franklin. So yes, Cameron is sort of a, a big body key forward, but Tom Hawkins is still the number one go to target. That, that's what we talk about for Cameron, though, is it not? We talk about this, don't we, about how he's just a very versatile player mm. and how you you often see him running into goal, having you know gotten hands off the pack, or um, you know it might have been a loose ball and he receives a handball and can snap on a on a whim and turn on a dime 
Hawkins is your power forward and he's such a great set shot and I think that's why they would target him so much and why he's one of the top 10 most targeted players in the league mm. but Cameron has these sort of different avenues to goal and, and as you say it is very impressive uh, what, that's what makes him so great because he can be their dominant power key forward but he can also be so lethal at ground level and then we see him pushing up the wing and taking marks at half back he is the ultimate player, Jeremy Cameron. And I think we may have said this. I don't know if we've said this on here or not. And I think you agree with me, but I won't I won't link your name to me with what I'm going to say. <laughs> but I, I think if I'm starting a new team tomorrow, he's just about the first player I pick. I think we have spoken about this on the pod. And I, we, we, we came to this consensus. Yeah. Just purely forget, because forget of... age. Like, yeah, like we're not yeah, talking yeah. about building a team. Like I'm just talking about if, if I can for, pick for this, from anyone to, for, pl- for... to play on Saturday, yeah. I think he's my first player I pick. And, and not it's the just versatility, players, I think, that you... Not, yeah. Not just from the two play, two teams playing, but the competition. It's the versatility. There's no other player in the league that can do what he does. And I think it makes a lot of sense. The combo of you know targeting Hawkins, and if Hawkins takes the mark, great. You, mm. you, you know his set shots are so pure that you're going to have a decent chance of, of slotting one. Uh, but if it doesn't, if it comes off hands, if there's a, a ball up in the forward line, that's when Cameron really does become dangerous. And I think yeah. in terms of a one-two punch, it's just hard and, to beat. And that's how we measure the go-to targets as well. There's sort of probably two measures where you can work out if you're a good target. So how often do you yourself retain the possession of the ball when you're the sole target? So again, Tom Hawkins retaining possession uh, 53% of the time, which is the fourth highest percentage of the top 50. Um, compared to Franklin, who's at 46%, which is ranked 14th. But again, even your, just your team's ability just to be able to score. So they target you, and how often does your team get the get the next score, whether you take possession or not, or they crumb it off you? 53% of the time, again, that Geelong go to Hawkins, um, they score, which is the second highest percentage of the top 50. Uh, Buddy, 15th at 46%. But again, Tom Hawkins is you know the most used um one of the most used targets in the, in the competition, probably the most valuable key target in the competition. What those stats kind of suggest to me, Jake, is it's really important that Sam Reid plays for the Swans and if he can get up. Because I think you, d- you do need a second fiddle for Buddy. And, and Reid has shown this season and in 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 recent weeks in mm. particular that he can play a really important role if yeah. and when he's fit. Yeah, he's a very underrated player, Sam Reid. I was about to say Ben Reid. I was going to make that Luke mistake. Darcy. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, he is, and I think, and this isn't this isn't a criticism of Logan McDonald, but it's a massive it's a massive amount of pressure for that he that will fall on his shoulders if For he does not play. Yeah, yeah, because all of a sudden, I believe you can start double teaming Buddy, and we know Buddy's strength isn't to take pack marks. Like that's not where his strength is. But Reed can do that. Reed can be targeted, and he can. And he, how often do you see that he he'll have a quarter where he takes two or three clunks in, in a quarter, and he'll turn a game. He'll be a massive loss if he's not there, and mm. and you, and you all of a sudden the the eight times that they target target Buddy in a game might become 12. might become twelve exactly. Now that was the Dan Murphy's go to player of the week. Please remember to drink wise ahead of the grand final. Score a great deal at Dan Murphy's for the footy finals. Beat the crowd and shop online at danmurphys.com.au for delivery in under two hours or pick up in under 30 minutes. Kick off the footy finals at Dan Murphy's. Conditions apply. Choose to drink wise. Jake, we were talking before I stopped you. We were talking about legacies and we were talking about pressure mm. on the cats and there is something to be said, surely, about having won 15 in a row. And like, we, you know, it's, it's a very, it's very much a footyism, a footy cliche, but like, was there a loss that they had to have at some point in there just to kind of break up the streak? Well, I was just thinking this as you were saying. I don't know. Maybe you know, Christian. Has What's the longest winning streak a team's ever had going into a grand final that then lost? 
Yeah, that is putting me on the spot. I don't know a few. <laughs> uh, the, the longest ones that I've heard of more recently, they were all one. So yeah, the Collingwood, yeah. the Carlton. Yeah, so... I, Pressure's I on the Cats. It is, and it's kind of been an under... An under it's the, the winning streak's sort of flown under the radar, I think, because all the talk was Melbourne's 17-game winning streak from last year through the grand final and then the first 10 games of this year. And then they... And then almost since then, it's just been Geelong hasn't lost since about that point. And you but there was so much attention on Melbourne. And it's funny that at the start we were saying, oh, the two teams deserve to be there. Okay, that's not including a team that won 10 straight games and looked unbeatable and were an odds-on favourite to win a back-to-back flags. And say, like, oh, yeah, they don't deserve to be there. But yes, there is a massive amount of pressure on Geelong. And there's more on Geelong than Sydney for a number of reasons. Because yes, that streak is longer. Yes, they finished top of the, of the ladder. And... Um, they have the 2020 grand finals I mentioned before, which is which is very fresh. Yeah, it is. And there are, I think, further little bits and pieces that kind of interest me. And uh, it's, we've, I think we've discussed it on this podcast before, but you know the, the aspect of Chris Scott's legacy as well. We talk about a, a coach who came in and in year one with arguably one of the more talented lists assembled, was able to win a flag in 2011. And then since then, just hasn't been able to replicate and, and post another mm-hmm. win on the big stage in that in that sense. Um, you know, Joel Selwood is a skipper, kind of, this, again, the same pressure that he's led a team for so long, one of the most, most capped, uh, captains of all time, might even be the... Pendlebury might be more. Um, forgive me, the stat off the top of my head, I'm not the stats guy. Uh, and been then, captain for ages for Geelong. And then, but, even, <laughs> but even someone like Patrick Dangerfield, who came across from the Crows, wanted to win a, a flag. Um, but then on the flip side, there's Lance Franklin, who went over to Sydney on a, on a massive nine-year deal, and mm. which is, you know, it's almost at the end. And yes, he's going one more one more year at least. Isn't it but, funny how it, when, at the time, it's like, that's so that's crazy. Uh, and now he he's is. like, oh, I'll go another one. Yeah, why not? <laughs> one more. Um, so there are, I mean... Would a prem- like the pressure's on the cats, but would a premiership be more meaningful for someone like Patrick Dangerfield, or would it be more meaningful for someone like Lance Franklin, considering both of their careers and how they've gotten to this point? I really hate the narrative around someone like Patrick Dangerfield, and there are a few players, but he's probably the the most obvious one in the current crop of players, superstar that hasn't won a premiership. And the word and superstar and all those kind of terms are thrown around a lot, but he is, in my opinion, Patrick Dangerfield is one of the best six players to play the game in the last twenty years, and, and not including like players that like overlapping for a year. I'm just talking the last twenty years of players we've had. I think he's clearly a top six player, and you can make the case he's maybe in the top four. I don't think if he goes out and and they win a they win the premiership on Saturday, that should change anything about his legacy. But it will, and that's the annoying part. And it will, no matter how he plays. If he goes out there and he's best on ground and wins, wins the Norm Smith, it'll all be a part of his legacy. But if he goes out there and he's injured in the first minute and subbed out, but Geelong go on and win, win the game and he gets a premiership, people say, oh, his career's complete that's, now. And that's how I feel about Chris Scott as well, and probably even so, you know, to the extent that he's been captain that whole time. But the whole making seven prelims, however, however many it is for Chris Scott, it's sort of like, well, that is his legacy. He's a good coach. We that talked is, about his that is a damn good a coach. coach. So if if it again another high, you know hypothetical on the weekend, a Geelong player's lining up for a shot at goal after the siren to win the game. If he misses, Chris Scott's a failure as a coach. Yeah. But if he kicks Makes it straight, no, then Chris Scott's yeah. all of a sudden yes, he's he's a ticket. He's a genius. The the narrative of Chris Scott, yeah, was you know I think it was probably two or three years ago it started to heat up of. Is he good enough to actually coach the Lions? Like, yes, he keeps getting it's, them to a prelim. No one else can get that far consistently. Yeah. But but these are the kind of discussions that do permeate in grand final week. This is the sort of stuff yeah, I that, understand that. And I, I have absolutely no doubt that Dangerfield, that Franklin, that 
that Scott, that Selwood, the, the, just thoughts like this have entered their mind at this at some point this week. 100%. And there's absolutely no, like, whatever they would say, I have no doubt that that's occurred. And the pressure, as you said, Jake, is on the Cats here. Yeah, it um, is. And, you know, but Franklin too. I mean, it's the same sort of thing as Dangerfield. We all, we all, I just said, we all thought that's crazy, nine-year deal. He's never going to get through that. And he yeah. has, and he's going to play another one. And who, who the knows? talk was always he had to deliver a flag to Sydney to, for it to be a success. But I disagree with that. And, I, and that was the talk. But why? He's done more than enough there. He's done more than anyone could have imagined that he would do when he signed there nine I, years I ago. I think you look at the pandemonium at the SCG in round two in particular, yeah. just to sort of full circle it back to that that point. Uh, and what that what he has done for Sydney is you, you cannot underestimate yeah. what what he's done. And to Christian's point, if Buddy's lining up after the siren <laughs> and, and misses misses and they lose. He's a failure. Sydney recruiting him ten years ago is a failure. But if he kicks it, they're geniuses. It's just we're too we 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 react far too much from not just one game, not just one quarter, but sometimes one kick. Like it's insane. So I think I think Buddy's legacy is set. Buddy is clearly a legend of the game when he's when he's retired, and Dangerfield is obviously in the Hall of Fame as one of the great players of the modern era they both are and I, I don't think winning a flag should change either legacies for either player who do you think it would mean more to mean more to as a person I think it would mean more to Dangerfield because he hasn't won one yet Buddy at least has he knows what it's like he's he's had that experience Dangerfield hasn't I think he craves that more than than Buddy would because he's had that I think that's natural I think there's also part of you talk about 2020 about his performance in that 2020 mm. grand final that would be haunting him I mean I don't know but I would imagine not that I've not that I can remember every single one of Patrick Dangerfield's 310 games or whatever he's played but that felt like the worst game he's played it's a big call we'll, we'll have a look I know at the I know it's sh- I know it was shortened quarters so that so you can t- probably add you know add 25% to all his stats but he was very ordinary in that game, and he knows it. And look how we played in that prelim. And we'll get to our, t- to our tips a little bit later, but I, I just think he's pro- he is so ready for this. He he is ready to deliver in a massive way. And a big, a big part of that is how they've actually used him in finals. So we know we had the, um, what would they call it, the mini training block mid-season, sort of to get his conditioning up and things like that. But yeah, the, the way he's sort of been used each week in the finals has been interesting. Against Collingwood, he started every single quarter on the bench. Um, and minutes played quarter by quarter. So starting quarter one, he played 19 minutes, uh, 20 and a half minutes in quarter two, 26 minutes quarter three, 27 minutes in quarter four. And similar thing against Brisbane. He didn't start any of the quarters on the bench, but he came off at the four minute mark of nearly each of the quarters. So he came off really, really early. Uh, 19, 19 minutes or 19 and three quarter minutes in the first quarter. Uh, just under 22 minutes in the second quarter, 26 minutes in the third quarter, and 27 and a half minutes in the fourth quarter. So if it's a close game in the grand final, the way they've been managing Dangerfield, he's still ready to go late in games. Yeah. And They're I, ramping and I, him up. And I think it's the midfield time that I've been talking about for a couple of years on this podcast. I think he's most valuable in the midfield. And that's where he was doing his best work against uh, Brisbane. He, he, he dominated. He's almost been permanent midfield since yeah. he's come back. And, and this, I think yeah. this is... This it's not not to say Chris Scott doesn't know what he's doing. Obviously he does. They're in a grand final and he's got one of the great players at his disposal and he's got to work out how to best use him. But I'm a, I'm a firm believer that your best players should be playing around the ball and having Dangerfield sit at full forward, especially when you've got the luxury of Cameron and Hawkins. And no matter what I say about Gary Rowan, you've got Rowan, you've got Stengel, you've got uh, Myers, you've got all these guys up there that can hit the scoreboard. 
why are you wasting Dangerfield? If there is if there is an area for Geelong where they may be lacking slightly, it probably is in the midfield. Yeah. It's certainly not the forward line. It's certainly not the defence. So why not get him in there and let him play? And I, I have no. I would rather Dangerfield play 19 minutes a quarter permanently in the midfield than play 24 minutes a quarter and him splitting his time between forward and midfield. He's so much more impactful. The, and, and it's like, I, I, people will... He kicked two goals. He kicked the first goal of the game within a minute playing yeah. in the midfield. And so we'll, it's not like, oh, you don't get the goals from him anymore. So clearly you don't start him on the bench as well. He's, he's starting on the field yeah. in the centre square. Well, he started in, he started on the on the field in the prelim. prelim. The prelim. Yeah, he started on because he kicked the first goal within so he's, 45 seconds. He's had seconds. one game where he started on the bench at each quarter. And, I think the and, the second, and then the second game he came on, off at the yeah. four-minute mark of each quarter. So he yeah. started on the quarter. And he gives him that first the straight away. Yeah. Yeah. He sent so him and his oiled arms to the yeah. centre circle. <laughs> 100%. He's the most intimidating. If you're a Sydney midfielder and you're walking in for that first centre bounce, if you're, if you're, I imagine it'll probably be Mills, Parker, and I think Warner has been starting on the bench for them. Um, Maybe Papley. I think Papley's been in a few centre bounces for, for the Swans. Mm. But whoever's in there, if you see Paddy Dangerfield strutting up to you with his oiled arms and his, his arms out by his side, chest, chest out, in wearing the small the size small yeah. jersey, <laughs> you're intimidated. Because yeah. you, you know how much of this guy is going to be going all out to win this game. And I think playing him in the midfield, playing, giving him those... Give him bursts. It doesn't, I don't care if he's doing a Matt Crouch and coming off twice a quarter for a break. Give him those bursts so he can be his destructive best, and I think Geelong will win. You pointed out, um, you know, he wants this. You were discussing Christian before the podcast started recording, I think, uh, about just how the game was dead in the prelim, uh, and he was still going in uh, hammer and tong. There's a there's a contest the on the yeah on the member side wing. I think he's in a one on one contest. He gets spoiled away from him, you know, gets spoiled about ten minutes in front, and he just runs straight at the ball and dives head first. They're they're ten goals up, and I thought. Even an act like that, I could even see the coach sort of just pulling you off and just saying, "No, nah, that's a, enough is enough. You don't need but, to but do that." Part but part of that is he's just date. That's just him. Yeah, it wasn't. If you take that away from yeah. him, yeah, he, he's not the same player. And I think that's what makes up. We've, and I think I think that's that's important. Yeah. If you pulled him off, you know, that goes to his psyche. Whereas if you let it just let him go, he is building this expectation in his head that this is me. I'm going to have this final series. I'm going to have this grand final. We're going to win this. Mm. So I, I agree. I think you just got to let him let him do it, be who he is. Because uh, um, this is this would be his crowning achievement, even though it wouldn't matter for his legacy if they don't win. Mm. Uh, final tips, boys, gentlemen. This is I think we've all been talking ourselves into a Geelong win, but can either of you see the Swans forming an upset? I can. I definitely can. I mean, everyone seems to be on Geelong's side, and I think there's something to be said where when everyone's on one side and giving no respect to the other team, particularly in a game that feels like. 50-50 or, or if, if not 55-45 I think Sydney's a massive chance to win but I don't think I'm brave enough to tip them No, I'm, I'm with you and yeah I'm definitely tipping Geelong and it's sort of you know if I looked at a possible scale for me as well I can see Sydney probably winning to maybe a maximum of 15 points yeah. you know they, they can definitely win and sort of control the game but they're not going to pump them out where I can see unfortunately and I don't want it to happen I can see Geelong, Geelong winning by 10 by goals, 10 goals. Yeah. I can't see that for Sydney I, I agree mm. I think I think that's exactly right and I think if Geelong I think those two are the likely outcomes. I think Sydney win it by 11 points or Geelong win it by 55. I think they're the two more likely outcomes. And I said last last year on the podcast, I remember I said, one of these teams is going to win by 40 plus. And for the for the majority of that game, it looked that looked crazy. But that's what happens. When a team knows they've lost the grand final, that's when the margin blows out to 80 points. Mm. I, I, the, the way Sydney plays and the way Geelong plays, I don't think that's going to happen. But yeah, I... I 
I would not be surprised, and I don't think as much as everyone's tipping Geelong, I don't think anyone would be surprised if Sunday Sydney win by eleven or twelve points. So who are you tipping, and who's your Norm Smith winner? Sunday, as in the day after, right, where yeah, we're yeah. looking back, not the grand finals <laughs> on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, we will be coming out with a, another podcast episode, a review on Sunday. Uh, so not our normal Tuesday pod, but uh, a nice little weekend refresher. I'm going to go Geelong to win by 43 points. And I think wow. Patrick Dangerfield will be the clear, unanimous Norm Smith medalist. Yeah, I'll go Geelong by 22 points, and I'll just I'll stick with my big call from three weeks ago. I think I have to tip Mark Blixarves to win the Norm Smith. <laughs> hasn't hasn't uh, filled me with much confidence the first two finals, but as I said, I feel like all he needs to do is just be given a job and do yeah. that job well, and he might, I might win admit, it, but he, I'll, he I'll he stick with that a, tip. He polled a few votes on Brownlee Night, and every time he got a vote, I was thinking of you, and I thought, gee, they, everyone just loves him, don't they? For, for one second, I thought he was going back to his big call from the start of the year, Gold and he Coast. was going to say that um, <laughs> uh, Butters would win the Norm Smith. He <laughs> 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 come out of nowhere. He might Win the grand, is he in the grand final sprint? Can I, can I cheer for him in anything? Yeah. Uh, there we go. Uh, I think I agree. As much as I'd love uh, to see the underdog win, I'm, I'm a big fan of the underdog story. And I think Sydney, what they've been able to do since missing finals in 2020 has been pretty remarkable stuff. So uh, as much as I would love to see the Swans win, I think it's just Geelong's time. It's, it's destiny. They've won 15 in a row. There's the, the talk about Dangerfield coming to the end of his career. There's Selwood's captaincy. There's the, you know Tom Hawkins. There's Jeremy Cameron came over. There's all of these just sort of stories converging to this moment yeah. that I just think it's destiny for the Cats to win by, by 30 points. Uh, and I think Jeremy Cameron wins the Norm Smith. Very so, good. So there you go. Uh, I, I did have some Is the Hype Justified or Is it Hyperbole statements for you, but you kind of ruined one of mine, Christian, because I was going to ask, you can't start Patrick Dangerfield on the bench, can you? Well, <laughs> it worked one week and you didn't do it the second week, but again, yeah, great. Q1, no. He, again, Jake said, Jake summed it up. You have to have him as in your centre bounce to start the game. Uh, but yeah, I'd, again, looking at the numbers, I'd be looking for him to... You know, keeping an eye probably five minutes into the quarter, he'll probably have a have come, his first break. Come to a jog. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Jake, one for you before we wrap things up. Uh, Robbie Williams may be the best on ground on Saturday. Well, You've I've, just talked I'm, a big game I'm, about danger. I'm really confident in Dangerfield, so I, I can't go, go Robbie Williams more. But I tell you what, he is he's an entertainer. Have you got a favourite song? Um. Not really, no. Okay. I haven't, you know, it's funny because they release, they announce who's going to be playing on Grand Final Day so early, you forget about it. Yeah. And you, me- you, one of you mentioned it earlier about, oh, Robbie Williams is playing. And I thought, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Um, be good. Do you have a favourite Robbie Williams song, Christian? Let me entertain you, something along those lines. That's the only one I'm thinking yeah. of. What's yeah. the one? No. <laughs> don't know, yeah, don't know any of the titles. Will he pull out? I wonder if he'll pull out like my way, the the Sinatra cover. I, I just want to know who the Jack Rewalt would be for me, the team. Yeah. So who's getting up to perform with Robbie Williams? If they were, de- definitely Buddy. Dangerfield has Danger to. and Buddy, are they the two that we if can see? If Dangerfield wins Norm Smith, he's singing my way with Robbie Williams. I can't see Buddy doing that. There's no way I can see Buddy doing that. <laughs> who Chad would Warner. get up? Chad Warner? Chad Warner would get Warner. up there. Yeah. Papley. Yeah. Papley. <laughs> Yeah, with a tongue out can't <laughs> sing with a tongue out <laughs> if the Swans win I can see Papley get in North Smith just being one of those having one of those so days. you're covering you're covering both bases no no, no we've, we've, we've done our predictions I'm just sort of you know mentioning yeah. I don't want the podcast to end it's, it's one of the last episodes we'll do for the season yeah well, we'll true. be back Sunday. Did you we'll already back, mention I did I mention that? Yeah. We'll be back Sunday. Uh, if you have any thoughts, <laughs> questions, comments, complaints, at Footy Tips on Twitter, uh, we can get around to those. Uh, make sure you keep an eye out as well. Uh, in the As the girls' uh, season continues, so AFLW continues, the girls are doing a great job on the pod. Um, so make sure you get around that as well. In the meantime, we'll speak to you after the grand final. 
Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.